This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, July 20th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Matt Hoysh. In today's headlines, monkeypox comes to San Miguel County. Shakespeare returns to Town Park with all's well that ends well. Chair 9 running on time. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, Norwood lost a member of its community this week. Robert Pyle Thompson passed away from old age at his home on Tuesday morning, surrounded by family. He was 98 years old. According to the San Miguel County Coroner's Office, Thompson lived a long and amazing life, noting he will be greatly missed. Touch of Care Hospice attended to Thompson's comfort. Crippen Funeral Home will attend to services. Thompson is survived by his wife, Karen, his children, Ted, Ron, Lisa, Amy, and Margaret, his 11 grandchildren, and his 15 great-grandchildren. San Miguel County has confirmed two cases of monkeypox. It is a rare disease um, that's caused by a virus um, and can cause rash, um, lesions that look like pimples or blisters, as well as having a flu-like illness. That's San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin. It predominantly spreads through close um, person-to-person, skin-on-skin contact, um, so that direct touch with rash, scabs, fluids, etc., touching a surface or objects um, that of somebody who has active monkeypox or contact with respiratory secretions. Um, which is typically um, more direct contact, so kissing or sharing food. The individuals were tested at the Telluride Regional Medical Center and confirmed positive on July 15th. They are non-residents and members of the same household. According to public health, they are now at home and recovering. Colorado identified its first case of monkeypox in May. So far, there are 29 reported resident cases of the virus. Monkeypox is easily transmissible. Franklin notes the largest populations public health has seen monkeypox spread in are those who have multiple sex partners, men who have sex with men, and individuals experiencing homelessness. Prevention-wise, it's um, not going to events. Um, If you're sick or have a a rash, don't attend uh, gatherings. Consider how much those um, close contacts are likely to occur with people you don't know. Um, And then for those engaging with sex with multiple partners, talking about recent illnesses, rashes, having that conversation about protection, um, and then uh, potentially limiting the number of sexual partners to reduce that um, amount of exposure. Franklin says symptoms can take up to 21 days to appear, but typically show up within a week or two. Public Health notes the type of monkeypox spreading in the United States is rarely deadly, with a fatality rate of less than 1%. Most cases resolve on their own. Symptoms for monkeypox include fever, headache, muscle ache, swollen lymph nodes, and exhaustion. Monkeypox also causes a rash or skin bumps, typically developing one to three days after the onset of a fever, beginning on the face and spreading to other parts of the body. If an individual has symptoms, public health recommends contacting a healthcare provider, even if you don't think you've had contact with someone with monkeypox. There is no specific treatment for the virus, however, drugs and vaccines developed for smallpox may help. 
Telluride Theater's headlining summer project, Shakespeare in the Park, opens this Friday with a production of All's Well That Ends Well. Featuring a cast of community members, this comedy is known as one of Shakespeare's problem plays for its lack of a clear moral lesson. KOTO's Gavin McGough has more. On a recent evening, Telluride Town Park was busy with its usual crowd of softball players and dog walkers. Few noticed that up on the town park stage was a mix of locals dancing, stomping, and sparring, and perfect iambic pentameter. Surrounded by plywood set pieces and fueled by sugar cookies and takeout, it is one of the final rehearsals for Telluride Theater's Shakespeare in the Park. The San Francisco-based director, Becca Wolf, says this year's show, All's Well That Ends Well, follows a woman as she pursues a man who resists her advances. All's Well That Ends Well is about a young woman who is wanting to marry this guy who is above her station. He doesn't want her, and so he is forced by the king to agree to the marriage. The misadventures of this young couple-to-be forms the backdrop for the show's humor. Tom Shane, a Telluridian who has performed and trained professionally, plays both the king and the fool and describes the comedy of this particular work. It's a funny show. It's really silly and ridiculous. Um, you know, it, it's not stodgy at all in terms of Shakespeare. Shane has performed with Shakespeare in the Park for years. He got started when he came to town decades ago. And in terms of the theater community, I mean, it's changed, certainly, considerably. You know, None of those people that I was in those shows with are here in doing these performances. And I, you know, one of the themes of the show is like age and youth and certainly being here with the, all these other actors. They're all in their 20s, so many of them are in their 20s, right? And to see that is like, oh yeah. And I have a line like, I would I had that corporal soundness now. Director Becca Wolf agrees that those themes of aging and change are central. As Shane plays the character of the king, a conflict forms between the generations in the play. The king? as the strong patriarchal leader enforcing the law, right, is keeping these two young people in the conflict that they're in. Wolf finds that messages about class and power are related to themes of generational conflict. In the show, elder characters tend to hold power, but oftentimes that power becomes a sort of trap for themselves. When we have an idea of ourselves, especially when we have power, we may make dumb decisions. You almost get addicted to the way you act, you know what I mean? And then you stop being able to respond to what's really happening in the moment sometimes. So how do the conflicts work out at the end of the play? Is all well that ends well? Unlike other Shakespearean works, the answers are not crystal clear. In the end, there's moral gray area, which is vast. Wolf says that for the production team itself, the answers were more clear cut. The diversity of ages amongst the actors led not to conflict, but camaraderie and creativity. There's such a rich mix of experience and training and outlook and age. That is not common, the truth of the ensemble process, like coming together as a group, is just so deep. It's such a joy. James Van Hooser, who has performed in Shakespeare in the Park since coming to Telluride in 2013, agrees that relationships amongst cast members are the highlight every time. 
it's my home in Telluride as far as uh, artistic expression and just I made a lot of friends. His message for fans this year? Come see the show, gang. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, the views are always killer out in Town Park. In the park, it's sunset around 8 o'clock. Way down the valley, the small strip of horizon is glowing pink and orange. Picnickers and frisbee throwers are still out, seemingly ignorant of the small crew tucked away on the town stage. Come opening night, this Friday, July 22nd, that much is sure to change. You can get your tickets at telluridetheater.org. After Friday's opening, the show runs at 8 p.m. nightly through July 31st. There is no show Thursday the 28th. For KOTO, this is Gavin McGough. It's a warm summer afternoon, and luckily, it's lightning free as Scott Pittenger and I drive up a dirt road built on to see forever in the Telluride Ski Resort. So this is the access road that we've been using to bring up all of our heavy equipment, all of our pipe, all of the new lift materials, as well as bring down um, a lot of the old lift. We're heading up to the Chair 9 construction area. Pittenger, Telski's Director of Mountain Operations, is giving me an update on the lift replacement that began this spring. We're actually getting a lot done. By the end of this month, it's actually going to start looking like an actual lift construction project. So far, he explains, it's been a lot of groundwork, preparing a base to build off of. On the way up, we pass a pipe fabrication area with thousands of feet of metal tubes. So we've been having a couple welders working up here more or less non-stop to get all of our piping ready. That, he explains, is for new snowmaking infrastructure they're developing with the new lift. The replacement, he notes, is also a chance to build more efficient snowmaking in the area. This is kind of one of those once in a ski resort lifetime opportunities where you're going to have pretty big impacts just because of the lift construction. And so in light of that, it's like, okay, well, what else can we do while we're up here, while we have equipment up here? Finally, we make it to the top, where the Lift 9 unloading area used to be is a giant area of massive holes and piles of earth. It's, you know, essentially all rock up here. So, I mean, this is one of the hardest digs you could ever hope to try to execute on. They leveled out a lot of the top to make room for the bigger new lift. In some areas, removing six feet of earth, in others, as much as 14 feet. A little ways down the mountain, a machine called a spider excavator is digging the holes where the new towers will go. So a very specialized piece of equipment um, and really the only way to execute on a project of this magnitude, um, unless you get, you know, handfuls of people up here to dig it by hand, which um, at the end of the day wouldn't really work out so well. With all the old lift infrastructure gone and the new lift not yet in, it hits me this is probably the most barren this part of the mountain has been or will be for decades. So far, Pittenger says, the work has been going great. Despite challenges from weather, supply chains, and labor, the project, he says, is staying on schedule. We still have the expectation of, of opening this lift up uh, this coming winter. 
In the coming weeks, they plan to fly in the towers and other infrastructure. By late August, Pittenger says, it should look like there's a lift on the mountain. Though, he adds, there will still be much to do, including a lot of electrical work. There's going to be a lot of work once this thing is more or less, you know, quote unquote, installed to be done after the fact um, that doesn't require, you know, helicopters and heavy equipment, but is more just kind of the tedious work that really needs to be done to, to dial in a new lift. Pittenger says the mountain still plans to do a load test on the new lift on December 16th. That's the first time they put weight on it. Basically, we use trash barrels to simulate um, the weight of riders on the lift. Um, and then we put the machine through its paces, test the brakes, test the spacing system, test everything. Several hiking spots on the mountain have been closed due to the construction, including the Sea Forever Trail and Wasatch Connection. Pittenger says they probably won't open any time this summer. But this winter, skiers will likely enjoy a new, bigger, faster Chair 9. With several months to go, Pittenger caveats a lot is still up in the air, but so far, he says, the replacement is going right on track. After a two-week run, Elvis is saying thank you very much and departing the Nugget Theater this Thursday. Friday, things are getting a bit more despicable. Minions, the rise of Gru, will take over the screen for the next week. The latest installment of the Despicable Me franchise rewinds to the 1970s to follow a young Gru, voiced by Steve Carell, as he tries to become a supervillain. The animated flick is rated PG and clocks in at just under 90 minutes. Minions The Rise of Gru will show nightly at the Nugget Theater at 7 p.m. from Friday, July 22nd through Thursday, the 28th. And this Saturday, July 23rd, Encanto will play for free at Mountain Village's Reflection Plaza for the weekly movie Under the Stars at sundown around 8.30 p.m. B0 I7 N2 G1 O six. Bingo! This week, the Wilkinson Public Library is celebrating letters and numbers with a community bingo event. Fun for those young and old, there will be a plethora of prizes for lucky winners. Bingo will take place at the Telluride Transfer Warehouse on Thursday, July 21st at 6 p.m. It is free and open to the public. A wildfire caused by an underground coal mine has burnt about eight acres in western Colorado. It's a relatively small fire, but KBUT's Christopher Biddle reports officials are concerned they may not be able to put it out for several weeks. The West Elk Mine in Gunnison County is Colorado's largest coal producer. The fire ignited underground there in May. On Monday, smoke was seen coming from the surface. Underground coal mine fire is what it is. That has poked its head out. <laughs> Sheriff's Deputy Adam Murdy says there are 12 open holes in the mine for the fire to escape. He thinks his department could be dealing with it through the end of the summer. There's a bunch of cliffs and, and just real steep, lots of rocks, and hand crews can't get into it, so they're just using, utilizing aircraft in hopes that they can keep it kind of at bay doing it that way for now until some hand crews can get in and build some containment lines 
The West Elk Mine is owned by Arch Coal and sits on land covered by the Ragged Mountain Fire Protection District, which responded initially. As of Tuesday evening, Murdy estimated 30 people and two aircraft were working on the fire. The Colorado Department of Fire Protection and Control will take lead on the incident. For KBUT News, I'm Christopher Biddle. U.S. Senator Michael Bennett is facing re-election this year and will face Republican businessman Joe O'Day in the November midterms. Rocky Mountain Community Radio's Gavin Dahl recently spoke with Senator Bennett on various initiatives, including his new Smart Community Policing Act and successful efforts to fund Colorado wildfire risk reduction, resilient forests, coal mine methane capture, and renewable energy. Michael Bennett is a Democrat who represents Colorado in the United States Senate. It's great to speak with you again, Senator. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Kevin. On Wednesday, you spoke on the Senate floor in favor of a new bill called the Supporting Mental Assistance Responder Teams, or SMART Community Policing Act. We've seen successful mental health co-responder programs take off here on the Western Slope, including in Montrose and Grand Junction. What kinds of programs will be expanded or created by your legislation? Essentially, what the bill does is respond to both the needs of law enforcement and communities. As you point out, Colorado, places ranging from Grand Junction to Denver and a lot of places in between, have had very good success with co-responder programs that allow police officers to focus on violent crime and dispatch mental health responders and other professionals to deal with issues that aren't violent crime. And, you know, Denver, for example, has dispatched thousands of people to do it. So these programs are working well. And all my bill does is say that Local communities and states ought to be able to use the federal COPS money to fund these kind of partnerships. As for reconciliation, for folks who don't know, what does that mean and what are priorities for you in an upcoming package? So reconciliation is a description of a budget process that allows for something to pass the Senate with 51 votes as opposed to the usual 60 votes. And in this package, what I've been most focused on is money for forest restoration, watershed protection, and uh, for conservation for farmers and ranchers. There's $27 billion in the package for the forests, and there's $27 billion in there for conservation. And this would be the largest expenditure ever in our national forests. And what I've been pointing out to people here in Washington, D.C., is we're spending the money anyway. We're just spending it fighting fires. And if we did the maintenance, not only would our watersheds be much better protected. And not only would we create jobs on the landscape, but we might actually get to a point where, you know, there was less likelihood that we were having these massive wildfires every single summer. So that's what we're working on right now. And then are you also able to make some effort around prescription drug prices with reconciliation? Yeah, yeah. A big piece of that is we're trying to create a a program where Medicare would for the first time be required to negotiate drug prices, which would reduce the cost of drugs for everybody. We also, if this bill is successful, would be capping seniors' out-of-pocket costs on drugs at $2,000. So that's a big piece of the bill, too. So going back to forests, Colorado legislators secured more than $100 million in funding for projects around the state this year. Thanks in part to your efforts, the Western Slope will benefit from funding for the Colorado Wildfire Risk Reduction and Resilient Forest Project. What will that, I think it's $3.6 million, do? Yeah, it was $3.6 million uh, that we were able to get passed. And the congressionally 
designated funding, and it's going to fund the treatment of 3,447 acres on non-federal lands in the Grand Mesa on Compagre and Gunnison National Forest, the White River National Forest, and Pike Santa Isabel National Forest to reduce wildfire risk to communities and, and as I said, to watersheds and critical infrastructure and diminish recovery costs. So I'm really glad that we were able to get that $3.6 million. It, it was one of um, 64 projects that we were able to get. Of the 64, I'm really proud to say 33 of those in over 20 communities are on the western slope of Colorado for a total of $53 million. You know, I think people on the west slope a lot of times feel like Washington's never paying any attention, and I, I'm very glad to see that they got a really good share of this funding. I mean, it's affordable housing projects in Craig and Glenwood Springs and Durango. We're replacing crumbling water infrastructure and increase access to clean drinking water in Rico and Walden and Minturn. We got money to improve public transportation and create greener fleets of buses in Eagle and Gunnison and Archuleta and La Plata County. And what the bill that we were talking about earlier, we also were able to increase access to mental and behavioral health services in Summit County, where that's one of the places they're doing the kinds of stuff that our new smart bill is based on. Well, and then I see that this also includes coal mine methane capture right nearby us in Coal Basin, and then also renewable energy projects up in Rangeley, I believe. So I just wonder, is you know, as the list goes on of all these Western Slope projects, did you prioritize some of these rural projects based on your own travels and and meeting with absolutely every single one of literally every single one of those projects is the result of my being out in the state, meeting with people, and having them tell me in Rangeley, for example, that we need to have this project because we've got to make our economy more resilient here or in, you know, Minturn, listening to people say we were in danger of not being able to fight fires because our water pressure is so low because of the old water tank that we have. We're now replacing that. That's going to cost $2 million, or a million of that is coming from the federal government. And it also, I have to say, the applications from the West Slope were phenomenal, and, and people obviously put a lot of work into it, and we had a very rigorous process in my office, and I went through every single one of them to get to a place where we fought for our priorities, and I think it was a, also a very transparent process as well. We've got the result of that is that we now have the applications for the next year's already in the office, and we're already processing those. Most of our listeners are familiar with your CORE Act, the Colorado Outdoor Recreation and Economy Act. You've been working on this for years. It was marked up in committee again recently. Are you expecting to have the chance to include the CORE Act in some kind of a public lands package this year? If there is a public lands package this year, and, and for there to be one, and, and for it to be one that passes, it, has, it would have to be bipartisan. If there is one, I definitely hope the CORE Act is part of that. We've worked on the CORE Act. For more than a decade, it has broad bipartisan support throughout western Colorado and, and from the counties that are affected by the CORE Act. Democrats and Republicans have supported it, and it's been Washington's dysfunction that has made it impossible for us to get it passed. So I hope we're going to find a way to get it over the finish line one way or another. You know, I think a lot about the veterans that were trained at Camp Hale went over and pushed the Germans out of northern Italy on their skis, because that's what the guys learned how to do. Then they came back and they started our outdoor rec industry in Colorado. You know, these guys are not getting any younger, and, and there aren't many of them, frankly, that are still living. And 
I would like to see them see Camp Hale made a historic national landscape, you know, before they move on. I just think the idea that it that we're so dysfunctional we can't figure that out. So I'm in particular on that, I think we've we've really gotta find some way to do it. I'll mention that the the fugitive methane work that you talked about, that also is part of the you know, area of the Thompson Divide, which is in the core act as well. So we're trying to work on this from every angle we can possibly work. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms tonight with partly cloudy skies and a low in the mid-50s. Thursday should be mostly sunny with a chance of showers and thunderstorms and a high near 80 degrees. Thursday night, expect mostly clear skies with a low around 55. Friday calls for mostly sunny skies during the day and partly cloudy skies at night. The high is near 80 degrees with a low around 60. There is a chance of showers and thunderstorms. This has been the news for Wednesday, July 20th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. I didn't make it all the way through school. But my mama didn't raise any food. I may not be the Einstein of our time But honey, I'm not dumb and I'm not blind This ain't my first rodeo This ain't the first time this old cowboy's been thrown This ain't the first I've seen this dog and pony show Honey This ain't my first rodeo This ain't my first rodeo This ain't the first time this old cowboy's been thrown This ain't the first I've seen The rodeo is July 29th and July 30th. That's a Friday and a Saturday night in Norwood at the San Miguel County Fairgrounds. This is Elizabeth Foley with the Norwood Roping Club, inviting you to come on out to our rodeo. It's a Friday and a Saturday. We've got it starting. The rodeo action is at 6.30 with the mutton busting and the calf riding. And then the rodeo is at 7 with the Bronx and the bulls and the barrels and the roping and some trick riders from Cheyenne Frontier Days putting on the big show for the performance both Friday and Saturday. We also have the Junior Rodeo is Friday at 10 a.m., so that's July 29th. We have the Sean Moon Band. They're playing Saturday night after the rodeo, so that's the after party on Saturday at the fairgrounds. And you can check this all out. You can buy tickets um, in advance on the website and get some savings there. You can also get some merchandise that commemorates our rodeo, our San Miguel County Rodeo that started in 1905. So there's some cool t-shirts and great merchandise. That's all found at SanMiguelBasinRodeo.com. So go to SanMiguelBasinRodeo.com and check out everything that's going to happen on the 29th and the 30th. And we sure hope to see you at 6.30 p.m. for the mutton bust and the calf riding. And then 7 for the rodeo. Yeehaw!
Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues. B0 I7 <laughs> I can't do it.